Hi, I'm Andrew and welcome to the Reviewer 2 Does Geoengineering, where we are looking at a subject um, which is poorly governed, under-researched, and that's just a podcast. Claire, <laughs> welcome to the show and Hello, you're helping everybody. me today. Uh, co-presenting and uh, we're going to go through uh, what is normally a week's news but it's actually a month's news because um, we've been sick and lazy and tied up with boring stuff that has prevented us doing uh, important podcasty things. Right Claire let's get on with it what we got this week. Okay well I you know I have missed our chats Andrew and missed catching up on geoengineering news and it seems the longer that you leave it the more of a flood there is so we've got a lot to get through um first topic is one for you it's because it's quite technical um it's the climate transitions from the breakup of stratocumulus decks under greenhouse warming and this was a an article in nature geoscience yeah that is genuinely interesting um now oh, yeah, I, it is. I... i'm just not very good at the whole kind of uh, <coughs> cloud physics stuff well, let, let me explain. Let me explain what I think happened here, right? Because I, it's a bit of a technical paper. Now, there's a backstory which is quite interesting. We've, I've actually been trying to get people for, who've done this on the show to talk about it because it's really interesting and it's a really important subject. And where is you know more than justifies coming on the podcast to talk about it? It's one of the most most interesting and potentially controversial papers that's been is, out. Is this in, the one where you couldn't get anyone to come on? Yes, this is very oh. much the one we can get onto. You know, you've written a really controversial paper here. In my view, I think people should subject their work to scrutiny. And I think that if you're going to publish something which you put through the peer review process and people invite comment on it, then you should come on the podcast and talk about it, right? I mean, it won't appear what's in front the, of their peers. What's the controversy then? Jesse, if you look at Jesse, what Jesse Reynolds was, was talking about, is you know, is whether or not, you know, has this been reported correctly, right? Uh, that's a, a lot of the issue. Because my understanding of this, and I, admittedly, I didn't go into the weeds on this, my understanding is that the stratocumulus decks, which are like these big, thick decks of marine clouds, um, break up and cause an awful lot of warming in extreme climate scenarios. Um, but they don't, and, and geoengineering doesn't prevent that, from that breakup process from happening. But geoengineering isn't a kind of, you know, it, it, it makes it happen a bit later as far as I understand. So there is an effect on it. And, and the, the question is, you know, really was that paper, was the effect described correctly in the paper? And then also to what extent was it misreported? Because they're always misreported in the media, aren't they? But, you know, to what extent was it misreported in the media? Um, and I would like to go and have that from the horse's mouth. So it's not necessarily that the, the paper was, you know, a massively controversial paper. It's an interesting paper. You know, I, I would like to be able to, you know, to, to speak to authors about papers and, you know, get them to investigate. They weren't explaining it. And, you know, we have this review to branding and, you know, we are the only geoengineering podcast out there that is explicit, explicitly and specifically about this subject. So we're also the, both the best and the worst. And it'd be nice if people would turn up and talk about their papers when they're and submitting yourself to the scrutiny of your peers, not just in peer review, but beyond that and explaining your, your science beyond that. So it'd be nice to see people from this mm. paper and many others on. So can I move on to the next Yes, you have my permission to do so. <laughs> okay, so there was a flurry of tweets with some of the some of the famous geoengineering tweeters, uh, Ted Nordhouse, Jane Flagel, and Dave Keith. So what happened is is that she tweeted, "We love a, t a socio techno fix," and then there was a sort of a flurry of Ted Nordhouse said, "Oh, I've been triggered." The argument is that techno fixes are great if they work, and what's wrong with them? And Jane Flagel said, "Only that would trigger you." Trigger you. And David Keith weighed in and said, "Maybe we need an international agreement about how to manage research." 
before doing any research to account for risks that the research might cause folks to slack off on social distancing. So it was talking about COVID. So it was pretty funny. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I thought that, that was David Keith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was great. That. And I like his uh, podcast as well. It's very sort of Canada-centric, which is sort of a shame, but is it energy versus... Climate? I don't listen to podcasts. I waste of time. <laughs> no, his podcast is great, actually. Um, and so Ted Norhouse says, oh, well, imagine if you use the same sort of arguments we deploy against technofixes in the environment. And then he came up with this, that these new vaccines will only allow larger populations that will die in even greater numbers from future viruses. And the only solution is more social distancing forever. You know? So. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen some of the whinging lefty <laughs> neo-Marxists come weigh in on that thread. Okay, now something's just occurred to me, right? Earlier I read a, a, a tweet about people saying, oh, are the vaccines safe? It's only taken a year. You know, it should have taken in 10 years and somebody poked up and said well look you know usually you, you spend nearly all of those 10 years applying for grants getting turned down the company that gave you a grant has to refocus and you have to start all over again so it's not necessarily the case this is an unsafe factor it's just that usually the process is so ploddingly slow yeah and well that's just, what that'll be our yeah that'll be how it will end up deploying yes exactly that's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen is everyone's going no 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 if you it's such a slippery slope of research geoengineering you might use it in the end and then we're going to use it in the end after having a hard and a mid-sentence it'll be like hang research. on a minute what happened to florida where's it <laughs> yeah. gone it was here a minute ago <laughs> i just thought oh it's exactly exactly that and it's just sort of such a load of hot air but i'm not saying we should do this stuff without proper research but arguing over whether we should or shouldn't is exactly the whole Ted Norhouse, David Keith thing. It's just, really? You know, do yep. we want to spend 10 years fiddling about with grants and ethics committees and just not yep. just do some research? I agree. Can't so, agree more. I can't stand the, the, the Luddites who think that it would all be better if we just no, bury our head in the sand. Strong, very, very strong ethical concerns about lots of different technical things and everything else. But that's not a no that's a do it and be cautious with these things in mind i agree it's not a no anyway we agree too much claire oh i know i know bored of agreeing with you yeah but we can't have a full-on ding dong on on the podcast because that would be unprofessional Um, we can yeah i mean i try try to be as (laughs) argumentative as possible with all the guests we'll try and find something we disagree about okay so peter irvin did another tweet um i've just put yeah he's on fire at the moment he, like, he really turned is. out to be no, a, a, a very guy. good he's social scientist <laughs> i remember he did he did a thread which was like wow this is absolutely brilliant social science far better than most social science social <laughs> scientists and this is guy that's just like just doing it as a hobby just Ooh. rocks up on but anyway um so peter Irvin said that this is again one slightly for you but a modeling a model that did um stratospheric aerosol geoengineering could offset a regional drying t- trend. Yeah, this was Andy Parker, um, SRMGI um, oh, lot. It? And yeah, it was um, SRMGI. So it's the developing world researchers. Simone Tilmes and Helen Murray were involved, and bizarrely, Ollie Morton as well. Um, oh, I know, he was supposed to record with him. Decimals um, Fund, that's it, the Decimals Fund. It yeah. is the Decimal Funds, yeah, from yeah. SRMGI. Yeah, they basically nurture um, a whole bunch of developing world researchers to help them do. Um, geoengineering things that they might not be able to do as well if they didn't have the training in computers and all of that kind of stuff so that instead of listening to people in western institutions who don't have the local knowledge and the cultural understanding um, of the developing world where many of the impacts of climate change are they can uh, they're breeding local talent that can take forward these 
important that's, intellectual and academic questions forward. And so I think that's it's a walking good initiative. In terms of ethical, ethical concerns about one of the ethical concerns about geoengineering is that it's all northern western scientists doing stuff. Yeah, well, it um, isn't though, and there no, are, it isn't. Of, but I mean, you know, you need these kind of programs to to make that more yes, you apparent. Do. But 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 when there's been research on what people in the developing world think about geoengineering, they're actually way more pro than people in the West are. Um, and there was a paper about that that came out about, but it was uh, it really busts this nonsense narrative of it's a heteropatriarchal western capitalist project yeah, and i didn't mean that in the more generalized way i meant in terms of local ecological conditions and what it might do for no it's true populations. it's true you know that 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 is absolutely true that's a really important part of it but the point i'm making is this kind of caricaturing of geoengineering as being um oh, you know yeah, some kind no, of uh, bourgeois a, project of the um, global oppressor class um <laughs> is just a load of nonsense and yeah people in the developing world don't think like that by the way and, I, did, and they're very... I did try and get in touch with Panahiro Lafale from um who started up AOSIS AOSIS you know the alliance of small island states um, I was thinking like, of uh, either Oasis or ASOS there neither of which have got <laughs> yeah, so anything to do with geoengineering <laughs> well the next thing I'm talk about is my favorite geo tweeter that's even word but Jesse Reynolds who wrote a great paper on is solar geoengineering ungovernable? A critical assessment of governance challenges identified by the IPCC. So this is, to my mind, long overdue, and he's done it in his own fantastic, concise, yet completely um, understandable style. Yeah, it's, re it's really annoying. Cause like, it's like <laughs> watching someone who's amazing at BMX tricks, because you can like, you have an idea in your head of something you want to do on a BMX or a skateboard and you just totally can't do it. And then Jesse Reynolds comes along and does it. It's like, yep, that was exactly the thing that I was trying to do. <laughs> yeah, but I, I couldn't know. do it at all. If only we thought about it and then put the work in first, but no, he's always there first. So, you know, hats off to you, Jesse. We think you're great. And uh, anyway, so he, he went through the kind of the usual arguments and I did read his article properly. And so he, he went through the IPCC uh, reasoning behind the the all oh, no it's a bit too hot to touch and isn't it awful kind of arguments about SRM and you know so it said that it decreases mitigation um, yeah yawn yawn more hazard you know, yawn it's it's not the case uh, generally people think oh my god do we really have to resort to this in that case exactly like, yeah negative that's a negative moral hazard and, effect you know eat a bit less beef termination shock completely not credible i mean i don't want to misquote him here but this is my impression not credible given that there's so many actions that are reasonable that could be taken to well he and i think he was a co-author he was a co-author with andy parker and pete irvin on a paper about termination shock and they basically said it's nonsense the whole termination shock yeah, thing it's, it's like just it because in theory if you stop doing if you stop steering your car at 70 miles an hour you <laughs> you're going to crash or well, yeah obviously well what you do to fix yeah. that problem is you keep steering your car when you're doing 70 miles an hour and it fixes yeah. the problem and uh, the other one the slippery slope research makes deployment more likely and he said there's not much evidence of this and he made an interesting point about the fact that there's survivor bias in tech development and you don't really hear yeah, about yeah, yeah. so many of you yeah, know this is so it's so important right because this is really important right Paul? loads of people right who write about technology and it's influenced like the STS crowd generally, right? They don't work in technology, right? And they think that they, they look at technologies that are around and think that, you know, that they, you know, inevitably came dominant from the moment that someone thought of the idea. But if they actually worked in technology and they realized that 99.9% .9 of everything that everyone does in technology just gets junked at one point or another, um, then they wouldn't see the world in the same way. And then they think that the idea of geoengineering therefore creates geoengineering. And it, it just doesn't mm. happen like that.
I mean, his next bit was great. He said that, you know, the accusation is that it's undemocratic. And he's just completely crapped on them and just said it's a conflation of assumptions and conclusions. And I've just been, go, Jesse, like, next to this. I might, so I might start using that. At all. I might use it. I might start using that expression. What, go, Jesse? Uh, well, maybe if, if, if it's relevant, but mainly conflation of assumptions and conclusions. So the next thing he said that, you know, the public is unlikely to accept it. And he said, well, maybe, but there's just not enough data. It's, it's the, one of the problems he's got with it, which is obviously a valid concern, is that so much of the IPC assumptions and conflations, or they're all on the negative side. They never ever look about the other side. And they said, well, you know, if you look at it from the other point of view, is that if the, if the effects of rampant climate change are so bad, then people might be that more is, accepting. That is the, that is the central point that people, yes. people arguing against geoengineering seem to fail to realise that the whole thing is being done not because it's a convenient way of burning lots more fossil fuels but because we are currently burning lots of fossil fuels and that's very 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 bad indeed and this is a way that we can potentially reduce some of the damage not not necessarily particularly of future fossil fuel consumption but more a matter of you know making sure that we don't have math deaths and pestilence and war and famine and other yeah disease factors changing and and you know exactly yeah we're all reluctant geoengineers aka we are indeed reluctant geoengineers so the other thing he said that made me really laugh as well is that i mean this is probably a bit of a butchering of his nuanced opinion about it but you know the ethical concerns so broad as to be vacuous that's a quote (laughs) they're obviously ethical concerns of governance as if with any technology and so on but you know there can be beneficial part parts to it and we've just discussed that at length about developing the world can be more keen on geoengineering as a sort of a leveler yeah um, i agree and that's what and that surveys are fine that, that um people in the developing world are genuinely yeah. or on average probably more sympathetic to the idea than the west one, one one last thing he's basically pointing at ipcc and saying that while they're trying to remain policy relevant and yet policy neutral never policy prescriptive so that it's poorly suited for social sciences and humanities which rely on qualitative ed- evidence reasoning subjective values and argument so i think they're they're kind of interestingly while we're on out the cl- their lane because they're, 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 he's right he's right david went on and did a bit of ipcc bashing yeah uh he basically resigned from the ipcc basically said they spent too long taking the output of iam's integrated assessment models as being like the gospel truth but that's just the kind of nonsense that justifies becks because you, you you put a set of assumptions into a model and then it does some stuff that is you know is is, is entirely predicated on the assumptions you put in and the problem that we've had particularly with Bex it's worth noting is that garbage in garbage out you get you know models that assume that you can plant Bex over a land area the size of India and it's all going to be fine and (laughs) And then they lo (laughs) lo and behold the model says yes what we should do is plant over India and solve climate change and well the the great there's a quote from David Keith is great he said it's response to so Robert Brule or Brule I'm not sure how to say his name said he declined to be in the IPCC uh, working group three report it became clear that organised effort to obstruct climate action were not going to be a major component of the analysis. Barriers yes. to mitigation. Sort of like trying to tell the story of Star Wars, but omitting Darth Vader. <laughs> yes, I thought that was very cool. I, I so forgot cool. the exact quote, but it was cool, yeah. Uh, but, you know, David Keith said that the chapter six of assessing transformation pathways might more accurately have been called uncritically reporting our IM model results. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous stuff. It makes us chuckle, but maybe we're weird, but who cares? Um, <laughs> so, right, moving on. David Keith said there's a cool new paper about all prior modelling papers using GCMs that share very similar... General circulation models, yeah. Okay. If SRM interacts with convection in unexpected ways, 
the this agreement in geomip models just encourages overconfidence um yeah yeah, yeah. so let me let me break that down so okay. geomip is the gym of is the geoengineering model into comparison project and the idea is that you get a bunch of climate models you stick geoengineering into them and see what they do that's all very well if the models are fundamentally different but the problem is that convection schemes which is basically how uh, when you heat up water uh, water in the oceans or air in the atmosphere it rises the physics behind that is all written in the same way the problem is that you think you're dealing with different models but actually fundamentally they're all the same thing okay to uh, how will cement going solar will make a difference in the race against climate change and this was synhelion talking to global cement yeah i um, love all this stuff this is very much my type of thing i know i know you are that cement guy the solar cement yeah. guy well now. let me so let me explain let me explain why it matters right because <laughs> of course it matters so, i'm just laughing that you're the solar cement guy yeah well i'm not really the solar cement guy um, i think they might be recruiting at the moment actually Car- no, carbon cure are recruiting but synhelion what synhelion do is they use solar furnaces so they're using highly focused and well insulated sunlight to burn off the carbon dioxide from limestone so it's calcium carbonate CaCO3 and mm-hmm. if you remove the CO2 you get quicklime and then you hydrate that to make calcium hydroxide which is slaked lime and that process that chemical loop of removing the carbon dioxide is used to purify carbon dioxide in the carbon engineering process um, which they use to get carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere in their direct air cap so if you could make the synhelion process compatible with the carbon engineering direct air capture process then you wouldn't have to use natural gas in the carbon engineering process now that there's a whole lot of ifing and other stuff there because that's that's not entirely simple you know that that's but in principle yeah. that's the hard bit is generating the temperatures to knock the carbon dioxide out of the carbon uh, out of the calcium carbonate so that you can then pure send it purified carbon dioxide into a hole in the ground and at the moment the carbon engineering process uses a very large amount of natural gas a huge amount of gas to get the carbon dioxide out of the air right and getting rid of that by using solar heat would be amazing if you could do it. Concrete at the moment is a big source of CO2 because when you're making yeah, concrete, terrible, isn't it? Yeah, you, when you're making concrete, you have to take, you take the limestone, you bake it off, you calcine it, and then you get the calcium oxide, which becomes the an ingredient of the cement process, right? And you do that in cement kiln, and it creates loads and loads and loads of carbon dioxide because you not only do you have to use loads of gas to heat up the limestone that you're driving off the gas, the CO2 from um, the cement as you're doing it, right? Now, the, the the upshot of this is that cement at the moment is a huge emitter of carbon dioxide. And it's I think it's 8 to 10% of global CO2. Oh, it's something but, astonishing, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. But, but it's not a one-way process. And this is something that a lot of people forget, is that when you make cement and you drive off that carbon dioxide, you've created like essentially that kind of hunger in the material for that carbon dioxide. And over the life of cement, the carbon dioxide gets sucked out of the air and then um uh, and then rebinds into the the concrete material and and accelerating that process is what carbon cure does by the they eject that it's like a what they've got is like a soda stream you know the, so the soda stream it's like a soda stream for concrete right so you put carbon dioxide in the in a wet mix right and then it makes it go off the concrete go off more quickly and harden more aggressively so the concrete becomes better quality concrete so out of the air yeah so there's an awful lot you can do with concrete and that's why i think that you should regard concrete as a geoengineering technology it, it's not just concrete it's not just carbon reduction it's actually a, a proper carbon dioxide removal technology and that's the hill i'll die on right that's great well i'm going to talk about trees now jen jen's freeze lund well he, he tweeted about criticizing shell's 
carbon offsetting scheme in Denmark and basically saying it's worse than doing nothing. So Shell's claiming red uh, REDD. Uh, it's reduction of um, emissions from deforestation degradation, I think. Yeah, degradation, deforestation. So they're claiming offsets in Indonesia and Peru. There's concern in Denmark that it's misleading people filling up the cars at petrol stations saying that you can pay for these offsets. And pretty yeah. much based on the fact that there's leakage around red areas. So if you've got a red area around it, there's more deforestation. So people say, well, we can't touch that bit. We'll just do all the bits around it. So yeah. is there really any actual reduction? Or in- is it all a pile of greenwash yes, nonsense? all a pile of, of wood chip. This is the whole thing about offsets. That, that yeah. my, my argument's always been mineralisation where it didn't happen. Right? You, it, there's so many ways you can cut these offsets. You can write so much about them. You talk about them all day long. But you know, at the end of the day, does anyone really know um, for sure whether a lot of these offsets are real or not? Because yeah, I mean, in my you know, view, a lot of them are not. Well, so. What he's saying is that, and I probably tend to agree with this, is that the, whoever's developing the red project, they assume that large area of the forest would have been destroyed without the sale of carbon offsets to fund the project. But what's the baseline? Because... It's a story made up by consultants hired by the developer. So it's it's all a bit circular in terms of who's giving the reason why it would have been... Yeah, if anyone wants a carbon off- offset, then I've got a bridge to sell them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I love this one. It's right up my street. Um, the, the title of this article on Vice is Oil Companies Want to Get Even Richer Sucking Their Own Emissions Out of the Air. So, which yeah, is plainer, interesting. Really. But you know, it's, it goes to my, my one of my little pet hates, which is uh, you know, the, the carbon reduction. Wasn't the Holly Jean Buck weighing in on this one, as far as I recall? Uh, yes, she did. She said, Do we allow them to reconfigure themselves as carbon removal companies, or would that evade reparative and corrective justice? Well, of course, it would probably. With the oil companies, you, you can say, Well, they, they were digging oil out of the ground when it was legal, so are we going to? Um, criticize them for doing something that was legal when it was legal right and my argument is you can and i think that ExxonMobil is a great example of this and i that um corporate death sentence which is a really interesting concept with the idea that a company is so egregiously immoral that it has no right to exist and should be sentenced to death and i think like that Purdue there is farmer should have had that done well yeah i think if you look at some of the, the companies that have been you know the most egregious examples of manipulation of capitalism where you can think about things where um uh people uh, where ExxonMobil is as as fermented merchants climate change denial yeah merchants of doubt yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone like, should read that book because it's amazing but the yeah the, the point being that there are, there are companies that, are, that, that act very actively and very you know uh, not even necessarily in a clandestine fashion but you know very obviously and clearly acting to subvert the democratic process and you know some of them are not even that shy about it and i think that when companies do that when the lobbying becomes you know make our product act in in such a way and that's you know we're, we're putting our case across but when you do when they're doing it in this fashion where they're you know manipulating the democratic process creating um you know falsehoods around to to, to stop democracy working basically i think that's when the corporate death sentence becomes entirely appropriate and i wouldn't be at all upset if a company like ExxonMobil uh was sentenced to corporate death and just had all their assets uh dissolved or seized or something i don't know exactly how that would happen obviously a very good case that they should be sentenced to corporate death for what they've done there's, there's another another way of looking at it, which is nothing unique but you, you sucked all the carbon out you made a load of money on it then really do you want us to pay you again to put it back in um, well, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, the point the... is, is that 
and this is sort of a, a take on what's, what Anna Dubovic has said in her tweet, is that if, if you if you basically say we're gonna we're gonna make you suck it all out, there's gonna be a really strong incentive for these huge R and D departments to come up with a quick way of making carbon uh, carbon dioxide removal methods cheap and widespread. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that all oil companies much are in... than, than startups or governments doing it much quicker. Yeah. Well, possibly. I mean, what what was much more likely to happen is it would be more like pharma, where big pharma companies that are not very good at innovating will make a, their stock in trade buying small pharma companies that are good at in, innovating. That's how it tends to happen. But yeah, I agree. I mean, if you, if there was a huge incentive, and you know that that is, it, it's been all about this kind of stuff, um, you know, to to see how you build these incentive structures. And I completely agree with you that, you know, if there was some serious money behind this, it would massively drive innovation. Self-interest, not just money, but self-interest have not been destroyed by... Well, um, you know, it, that, that's a principle of, you know, the, the you know, early capitalist thinkers like Adam Smith, that, you know, the laissez-faire economics, the idea of the, the enlightened self-interest is what drives the economy. And I, you know, yeah, I, I, mean, I think... I'm no some... Adam Smith, but I do, I, do, I do see the not very invisible hand of self-interest... Quite clearly, but, yeah, but it's not. Is that a bad thing, though? And I no, think that's the, no, not in that's itself. Point, but it needs it needs guidance, well, doesn't well, it? Yeah, well, and it needs it needs a bit of a you know. A good the problem. problem comes about if you've got a situation where people are being paid to clean up a problem that they've created. I mean, that's that's where the difficulty lies. In that there's a there's a conflict I mean. of interest. Like, do you treat it like pollution, like an environmental cleanup? Well, yeah, I think you should. But the the point, I think the the, the the issue that we've got with that is that the um, there's a real concern that there's a um, there's a corruption of interests because it's the, the the very companies that are best placed to solve the problem are in fact the ones that created the problem in the first place. Yes. And so there's yeah so there's a, there's yes. a there's a moral issue there, but there's also an incentive issue. So if they're actively incentivised to, to you know to cause trouble and then clean it up, then you, you can easily see a number of ways where they could be you know Victor Boo in Lord of War when he's selling arms <laughs> to both sides of the. It's an excellent film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're digressing again. Okay, um, so this is slightly backtracking, but it's still the similar. The Mark Carney, former Bank of England governor, who's yeah, now yeah, disappeared he's... off to do climate things. Yeah, so there's he's... a there's a consultation this week. Um, was yeah. it TVSCM or something? But anyway, I, I filled it in. But, well, okay, um, well let me talk about this because it's important, and I think okay. the consultation might be open. So what this is is they're asking for ideas. They, they want to create a global carbon market to get rid of all this nonsense in offsets and stuff like that and there's a yeah, consultation what... open so the idea um is that they are going to have a a big sort of powwow about what is and isn't going to be allowed in this offset market and so if you want to put your spoke in and say mineralization or it didn't happen then now's your time because at the moment they're considering putting all kinds of gibberish offsets for you know planting petunias in mongolia or whatever it is that these biological people do there's going to be a lot of dross and on my view is you just need to be robust about it and create a fair playing field where, you know, if you can blow it down a hole in the ground, you know, it's gone, it's gone forever, then that counts and pretty much everything else is just greenwash, right? I mean, maybe I'm being too cynical here and I'm not saying ecosystem restoration doesn't matter. It's not important and shouldn't do it, but it ain't the same thing as doing direct air capture. So if you want to express that view or any countervailing view, then please do so because it looks like this has got some real weight behind it and something might actually happen as a result of it. Yeah. So. so he's convened a task force in September to design a, a blueprint for scaling up the market to a transparent, verifiable and resilient emissions trading mechanism expected to start in January 2021. 
So um, yeah, they have got some heavyweight. What they're, are they going to? What they're, they're consulting on it now, and they expect yeah, to start in January twenty twenty one. Consultation until tenth of December, <laughs> and the task force is is going to upscale the market. Um, to that seems a, a, more than a trifle ambitious, if I might it's say very so. Ambitious, actually. Um, it has got some quite some quite heavy people in there from Davis Polk, from Standard Charters, the International Fi uh, Institute of Finance. So that looks that looks quite interesting to follow. But um, I didn't. So yeah, I quite like Mark Carney when he was mm. governor of the Bank of England. He was mm. like a proper grown up. Also on markets for carbon and so on. Uh, conservewater.com is launching the world's first international soil carbon market for offset. Oh, I love this. Everyone in carbon in, in soil carbon gets to be first. Everyone in carbon markets always gets to be first. There's like, there's Nori that have done the same thing before and there are others as well. And I can't remember even how many of them there are. Pakama do the same thing uh, as well? Yeah, with AI. Yes. Is it only us that think this is a big joke? Or does, does everyone doing it think it's a big I don't joke know. as well? We are exceptionally cynical, aren't we? So, okay, you do noisy things. Right, I'm going to talk about the Innovation and Networks Executive Agency of the European Commission. And they've uh, signed a big project to do um, more. It's CarbFix 2, it's an EU funded project between CarbFix and Climeworks for a new power plant in Iceland to scale up to remove 4,000 tonnes of CO2 per annum to store it permanently underground and turn it into stone. So it runs um, until 2021 and Carfix 2. Um, Carfix 1 went very well. Yeah. yeah but so there's real questions about whether, whether Carfix 2 can scale. The issue is that um, the undergroundness of the <laughs> sequestration thingy that they've got might not scale very well. That's potentially what might happen. Um, but when you put when you start putting a serious amount of stuff in the ground, it doesn't behave the same as um, as when you put a small amount of stuff in the ground, basically. Yeah. Well, they said they're going to they're going to inject impure CO two and other water soluble gases in the subsurface, and then develop a tech to um, to inject to use seawater injection into into basalt and do some air capture. So they they're kind of they're moving it on. But... Couples up with Climeworks, and so... uh, I haven't been to their Iceland plant. I'd like to go to Iceland at some point. It it's is a cool fantastic place to go to. Place. I've yeah, go and rub it in. Go and rub it in. Rub it in. It's I've, on my I've bucket to, list, and you've been, been there. I've been to the um, the power station where they they did that, and it's, it's I dragged my family there, and it was fascinating for me. And they're all vaguely just in the diagrams and stuff. But there you go. And also, while we're talking about people we disagree with, I should have given a name check to Kevin Surprise, who generously came on the podcast and um, uh, was thoroughly disagreeable, depending on your political viewpoint, and and uh, told us lots of things that we didn't like hearing. And we told him lots of things that he didn't like hearing. Um, yeah, it was very stimulating. It was. And you should listen to it if you haven't done already. Thank you, for Kevin Surprise, for coming on. And, uh... So the, um, the next one is one from your colleague, of long-time colleague, Damaris Kaufman. And she tweeted about state commissioning of uh, solar radiation management geoengineering. Yeah, it was, it was nice of you to name check the person who tweeted it rather than me when I wrote the paper. <laughs> Did you not even know that was a paper <laughs> no, that I wrote? No, I didn't realise that. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's the oh, depth of your, your research. <laughs> yeah, oh, look, he's my paper. I mean, I, I wrote that paper just like so long ago. It's lost in the mist of time. It's like a kind of mythical oh, paper. May 18. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it's just, it's two and a half years that ethics, policy, environment have taken to, to not publish that paper. Wow. It's, it's quite amazed. And, and then they had the audacity to try, I think they tried to charge me £2,000 open access fee at the end of it, which my, which I'm, uh, I, I still hurt from where the university shoved that bill back into me after I presented it to them. 
so no it's not open access um, but I did send a copy uh, of an earlier draft um, out to the geoengineering Google group so you can read something a bit like the paper um, if you'd like to but yeah apparently eth ethics policy and environment have sorted out their situation and I would talk to you about what was in the paper but I really can't remember very much about it um, okay. because it was so long ago but basically the idea was to talk about how when states have to buy solar geoengineering services in practical terms it's not going to be you know some civil servant flying a plane with geoengineering gases coming out the back of it that's not going to happen mm. so they're going to have to buy this stuff from somebody at some point somewhere and the, the paper was to look, look at how that might happen um, and um, I would say it'd be lovely to have somebody on the podcast to explain it all to us but it was a single author paper and I've long forgotten it. So don't you love academia? Isn't it just the most wonderful way of creating and disseminating knowledge? <laughs> okay. So the final, final, well, I've only got two things left. So um, we've got a paper by June Sequeira and Andreas Lichtenberger in Biophysical Economics and Sustainability, which is an interesting journal title. Um, called Assessing Carbon Capture, Public Policy, Science and Societal Need. So they basically look at, a, they're, they're reviewing the literature on, on industrial carbon removal. And it's very interesting because they talk about a lot of market mechanisms. And essentially their, their conclusion is that, that storage rather than sale of captured CO2 is, is, is the only assured way to reduce atmospheric carbon but basically to put it in the ground rather than try and sell it yeah well yeah I, we keep having this conversation but i don't agree because it's not how it works like yes in a, in a very narrow sense they're correct in that if you make some fuel or whatever with your carbon dioxide and then um and then it goes gets burned then it goes back into the atmosphere of course it does but you've got to look at the wider economic picture and if people are using the biggest problem with carbon dioxide removers is too bloody expensive and so if you can anything you can do to get the price down um, is, is good. And scaling it is how you get price down. And making stuff with it is how you scale it. Because mm. you can't just build it with no customers, right? So you want to take people who want the carbon dioxide for whatever that purpose is, be making, you know, carbon nanotubes that needs a highly pure carbon source, or you make, you know, bottling fizzy drinks, which needs a pretty pure carbon source, but not as pure perhaps. Uh, you know, I don't know the exact details, but what I'm saying is, you know, you, you've got all these little markets that you try and fulfill and satisfy with your whiz-band technology. And as you do it, it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper as more and more mm. people have it. So, you know, if you think about it, like mobile phones used to be carried around by people who were, um, you know, city slicker businessmen. And then a few years later, your plumber had one. And then a few years after that, your toddlers had one. Mm. Um, and that's okay. how it works. Well, they basically said that in their survey that that the commercial um, industrial carbon removal methods are net CO2 additive. <laughs> you use more CO2 putting it. Well, we, we found that commercial industrial carbon removal methods being incentivized by governments are net CO2 additive. That's what they say. CO2 okay. emissions exceed removals. So basically they're not, okay. they're not removing there. They're just like kind of removing shuffling it around yes yes okay um that and so that that's what led to their conclusion i don't know i haven't read the paper it's a very long paper so they, they basically said that you know we were talking earlier about waste treatment they said that atmospheric carbon reduction should be treated like a public service like water treatment or waste disposal so it's a whole kind of carbon as waste well yeah that, i mean that's true but the, the difference is it's not like we've got 300 years worth of backed up sewage to deal with is there 
No. I mean, it's, it's just not comparable. And um, the next item I've got, which is the last one I think that I have, is a Forbes article about, well, it's just Forbes, but it was reported everywhere. Bezos finally announces $800 million in donations to climate change organisations. And it is quite interesting who he gave it to. It wasn't us, I can assure you that. It's quite remissive, really, I think. <laughs> I could do, do with a piece of that. Yeah. For a variety of things, research and just uh, frittering away. It'd be nice if we made as much money as the um, as the right wings say that we do out of this carbon uh, yeah. removal larky, because I, no, I haven't made any money out of it. So. Made. But I mean, they did, they, he gave some Nature Conservancy $100 million, <laughs> Eden Restoration, Reforestation $5 million, Climate Works $50 million. Climate work. Oh, no, no, it's not climate works, is it? No, it's climate works. I get confused works. between the two. Climate yeah. works. You'd want to be. You'd want to. It'd be nice if, like, climate works just was a spelling error on it, and he just put the extra couple of letters, however many letters are different, <laughs> and they just sent you five million dollars to completely the wrong organisation because it happened to be almost the same spelling. A bit like the Four Seasons landscaping. Yes, that was just classic. That was beautiful. It was... <laughs> I, I'm so annoyed that people have stopped talking about that now because that's a, one of these th- things that should just never be forgotten. It's like... It's, like if, you watch, if you watch British political satire, like the thick of it and Yes Minister and stuff, that, that's their kind of stock in trade, laughing about that sort of stuff. Oh, and it kind of just... A bit of a new chief satire, can you? Absolutely, yeah. Well, other than by real life, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no. So we think everyone's bored now. Yes. Right, everyone's bored. We shall stop. Bye. I say goodbye, Claire. Don't be rude to the listeners. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, if you've got any comments or suggestions, please let us know.